Hey, thanks for listening to Grubstakers. This week, we're doing something a little different. We've taken a three-part approach to Larry Page, Sergey Brin, and Google.com. It's a huge topic. We were originally going to do a two-parter, but there's there's so much information here, and there's there's so much abuse of surveillance capitalism that, that goes on there. We, we couldn't even get to all of it. But on this part one, we're primarily talking about the biographies of these two men, these two billionaires, and uh, the various misdeeds they get up to in uh, the Google massage room. Um, but we, we talk about the founding of the company and their personal behavior on part one. Parts two and three will be really about the sheer scale of the surveillance economy and uh, just how terrifying it's gotten and if there's anything we can do about it. But uh, check out part one right here and then next week we'll be back with part two and then part three. Thanks for listening. Coming right up on Grubstakers. Get lost, please. Thank you. I can tell you that every job has its ups and downs, and a union can't change that fact. I mean, it is the magic elixir of our of our age and of all ages. What it does for prostate cancer is amazing. You get two hundred million dollar profit. You didn't have to pay any tax. Isn't that true? Listen, it's, it's, is that true or not? Yes or it no? Is, you do not pay a profit when someone a, a tax when someone Maybe makes you sell assets. For you, become secretary of treasury, so you didn't have to pay the tax there. Oh. <laughs> All right, in five, four, three, two. Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm here, uh, as always, I am joined by my friends. Yogi Pollywall. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And, uh, you know, this week, this is the first of a three-parter about the founders of Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, uh, two of the richest men ever to learn to code. But before we get into them, Mm -hmm. I... um, We've been uh, just just a little bit of housekeeping. We've gotten uh, some people commenting on the Twitter about um, our use of drops. Oh, really? Uh huh. And so, uh, in the spirit of innovation, somebody nominated us for the the award for most inept use of drops on a podcast. <laughs> in so, the, in, in was, that sense, they were commenting on it. Yes, Andy. We um, I think it was the Crypt, crypt Keeper six seven nine Crypto Keeper. Yeah, well, the, yeah, that's the, the thing we've been doing is you know we've been mixing them between live drops and like uh, post production drops, mm. and we're going to try to do as many live drops as we can now. And to aid with that, we've learned to code. We've that's learned right. to code. That's right. And now we have a uh, a Kai Professional MPK Mini Keyboard, um, sponsored. Uh, yeah, sponsored. <laughs> I think uh, it's pronounced Acai. <laughs> This is absolutely fucking stupid. That oh. we can just uh, hit any drop with. Sock it to me. Show love. Sock it to me. Show love. I can't wait to see uh, how many love, how many I, listeners we lose. I love We're now the <laughs> Lincoln Park of podcasts. Yeah. I love you. All right. So the point is, we will never again have a shortage of drops. What the fuck is a brain science? <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we've moved beyond hard. our one drop per episode policy. He never gets fully hard. He never gets fully hard. He never gets fully hard. I don't think it was a good idea to uh, put this in the lap of the most ADHD <laughs> member of the podcast. www.whatthefuck.com All right. But choice. anyways. We had uh, Andy in another room doing this, by the way. <laughs> But regardless, uh, uh, we we're talking today about <laughs> Larry Page and Sergey Brin, is uh, uh, the founders of Google. 
um, uh, two of the richest people on earth. Um, uh, you, you might be uh, a little familiar with them, but it is interesting. Larry Page and Sergey Brin, their story is like, they're very private people. So like, just to give you an example, like to kind of start off for uh, the research here, I actually did read this book uh, called The Google Guys by Richard L. Brandt. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can say that it is very impressive that Richard L. Brandt was able to write an entire book with his head firmly in Sergey Brin's asshole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he typed that whole thing. It was written in 2011. And the thing is, like, you know, I, I got mad because I read it. And then it's like, well, why didn't I read one of the other books? It's like, oh, there's no other books. Oh, really? There's just this one, like, flowing ass kissy biography from 2011, which is like peak, you know, learn to code. Where did you look up their biographies? Uh, Amazon, yeah, <laughs> Google, <laughs> Google. No, um, oh, it's but, strange you couldn't find any other results for books about Google on Google. Mm-hmm. But it is, it does kind of speak to the power of these guys that it's like um, nobody's really bothered to write a biography about them except for this kind of like flowy, ass kissing uh, stream of cliches and uh, sniveling supplication. <laughs> well, this that is I why read. I did all my research on Bing, ladies and gentlemen, and I found several articles on Breitbart. <laughs> Yes. I, oh, I am. I am pleased to announce that this episode on uh, Google and the privacy invasion they do through uh, the Chrome browser is sponsored by Mozilla Firefox. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got a sponsor thanks to the big influx from the Christmas episode. So uh, we we hope you guys. <laughs> I really, you know what, man? I think we should just kind of sell out. I think we should start like focusing our episodes attacking products mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and be secretly sponsored by competing products. Well, you know, a uh, good way to uh, get targeted advertising um, and uh, correctly direct where our ads go. How's this, Andy? It's a, a mechanism created by a, a couple young upstarts oh. in the Valley. What's their names? Uh, Larry Page and uh, Sergey Brain. Oh, seems like good dudes. How are their marriages doing? That's <laughs> <laughs> just not true. Um, but so, uh, uh, yeah, so the book, The Google Guys. All right, <laughs> That's gonna get really annoying. <laughs> my wife. Oh wait, here's my favorite one. Uh huh. My wife. That's uh, Jeff Bezos saying, "My wife." My wife. My wife. My wife. Oh yeah. Oh, he can. Da- David Pecker from the National Enquirer. <laughs> Take my wife, please. My wife. Our next guest is gonna be Weirdo Yankos. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I actually did. We'll look at the iTunes reviews, and somebody said that we uh, are one of the few podcasts that aren't annoying and unfunny with drops. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that we have let that person down. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, but so um, the, the the thing I want to talk about is this book that I read, The Google Guys by Richard Brandt. Uh, it provides like general biography, but again, it's just so ass kissy and so stuck in this like 2011 Obama era, learn to code, Silicon Valley is going right, to save right. us kind of uh, um, uh, zeit- future zeitgeist. And it, it annoyed the hell out of me because I read this book and then I read like an excerpt from the book um, Valley of Genius by Adam Fisher, which is just like interviews with various early Google and other tech company employees. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because, of course, uh, in the, the book that I read, the Google guys, they don't mention this, but the guy who like actually went and just sat and interviewed Google employees is like all of the early Google employees are like, yeah, so there weren't any locks on the door, so we could all see Sergey Brin fucking employees Ugh. there. 
<laughs> and it's like you have like eight Google employees saying the exact same thing, and I'm like, what the fuck was Richard Brandt doing with this book where he just doesn't talk to any of these Google employees <laughs> who are like, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, what do I remember from the early days at Google? Uh, my, uh, the CEO's dick <laughs> fucking people on the massage table. <laughs> Not so much the coding, just Burning Man and uh, lots of uh, uh, sexual harassment cases. Oh, and then the other I'm sure great thing. he was thing, innovating sexual harassment. The other great thing is that uh, uh, the Larry Page and Sergey Brin found Google, and then in 2001, they bring in the guy Eric Schmidt to be CEO, and he's supposed to be the adult in the room and clean up the frat boy atmosphere. And then Eric Schmidt starts fucking a bunch of people, like, uh, and, you know, future episode. But it's rumored that's why he had to step down as CEO, because he had his uh, hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Uh, <clears throat> he's also a billionaire. Yes, yes, yes. So future episode. Oh, it, we will be going into him a bit in the um, the episode after this one, I think. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll talk about him a little bit, uh, just because he's like, oh, he's kind of the public face, so he's the one who always makes the kind of Orwellian statements, like, yeah, no, we're we're not keeping any of your data, and uh, if we were, you would have to like consent to it, and we would tell you explicitly. <laughs> he's more kind of the benign evil that we're used to from like a neoliberal stooge, right, right, as opposed to like two tech bros. Eric, I like to imagine Eric Smith's uh, public comments, like denying that they're doing privacy invasion, are practice for when he gets home and talks to his wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one other thing uh, before we kind of uh, go through this chronologically about the book, The Google Guys by Richard L. Brandt, they don't even mention this guy named Scott Hassan. And Scott Hassan is, is kind of referred to as the third founder of Google. Mm -hmm. He was the guy who helped Larry Page build his uh, what's called page rank algorithm. But he left Google early, and he's kind of like written out of most of the official histories. And really? it's just weird where it's like, yeah, three, I mean, three people at least initially, and right, then the right. employees, they built this company. But then this fucking biography of Google that's like 200-some pages doesn't even mention the name of this guy. So it was just, it pissed me off because it's like, I waste my weekend reading this fucking book that's just so shoddily written and uh, leaves out all the juicy, interesting bits. Man, the worst thing about Google is Sean had to read a shitty book about them. Yes. Well, I checked the Google reviews and they were all five stars, so I was lured into a false sense of complacency. And this is the problem with Google. Uh, Should have checked Goodreads. <laughs> But I guess uh, before we kind of go through uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin in, in roughly uh, uh, chronological fashion, we can just kind of give a brief overview of Google the company, uh, if you haven't heard of it. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> we're, no, I taught those kids lessons on product I was going to say we were lucky Andy was distracted on his phone so that he couldn't be distracted just playing uh, uh, meaningless drops to my irritate wife. the listeners. My wife. He never gets fully hard. So, uh, Google, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, uh, in addition to being the founders, they own about a third of the company's stock. That's why they each have about a $50 billion net worth. But besides owning a third of the, of the stock, they have uh, priority shares. So essentially, Larry Page and Sergey Brin have set up the company so that they will always control half of the voting rights on all board-level decisions. Mm. So Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they've kind of stepped away from the company. They're letting it manage themselves itself in many ways. But at the end of the day, they control the company still. Is priority shares a thing companies do often? Is that, like, yes. is that a common practice? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a way of like, if you're going to do an IPO, you um, uh, can keep decision-making power and management. Right, right, you yep. know? Well, yeah. Google pioneered it. 
Uh, like oh, really? They were the first ones to have multi-tiered uh, shares where the owners have shares that are worth 10 votes each, mm-hmm. and then they sell shares that are worth one vote each. Right, right. And then they... Um, so they had class B shares, I guess, which are worth 10 votes. The the ordering doesn't make any sense. The class A shares were one vote each. Mm-hmm. And then later they released class C shares that didn't have any voting power. And this is a model that was uh, later, we talked about this in the um, Facebook episode, or the Zuckerberg episode. It was later uh, used by uh, Mark Zuckerberg um, in, in the Aaron Sorkin film to screw over uh, Zuckerberg's best friend. Also real life. He did it in real life, too. <laughs> I, I only in the movie, and and that's kind of the thing though, as, as far as culpability goes, because we go through all these like privacy invasions that Google is doing, and and all these other uh, abuses, you know, China or whatever, and it's like at the end of the day, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they control the company; they're worth fifty billion dollars each, so you know they can't. It's on them at the end of the day, you know. Yeah. It's not like, and I mean, they were probably, from everything I've read, idealists when they started this thing, but at some point they create a monster and they have the ability to uh, undo a lot of the abuses and they mm. decide not to. You know, they're they're on a Caribbean island or um, uh, banging uh, D-list comedians. Well, it's actually... <laughs> More on that later. My wife. My, my wife. No longer. Well, also, the... Yeah, it the- is- Oh, sorry, go ahead. The, the way they restructured the company into Alphabet being the holding company mm-hmm. of Google allowed them to retain a lot of control over Google. Oh, really? While also kind of basically just going onto an island and fucking people. Right. Right. Like, I mean, they've kind of... Um, Larry Page, I know, has retreated to like this... According to the New York Post, he like re- he's currently on some Caribbean island he owns, and he mostly just deals with the company to like uh, work on moonshot projects, like, you know, flying self-driving cars right, and uh, right. and those kinds of things uh space you know whatever billionaires are most interested in <laughs> this day sending people to die on mars so uh so let's just kind of go through this here so uh google and facebook we mentioned this on the facebook episode as of 2017 they control about 75 73 percent of all digital advertising in the u.s Uh, That's according to CNBC. So it's like when we talk about internet advertising, it is just basically Google and Facebook. Right. I mean, you know, very few other companies are making money, much less serious money, off the internet advertising model. And 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 interestingly, like there have (laughs) there's been recently, you know, the these rounds of uh, layoffs at uh, BuzzFeed, Vice, Huffington Post. uh, Essentially, all of these news companies Mm. that have a business model based on ad revenues Mm. but because google and facebook are sucking up so much ad revenues like news sites can't compare because they don't have the same kind of um joie de vivre uh well sir they don't have the same kind of like surveillance and behavioral uh analytics models that Mm. facebook and google do that allow them to kind of present themselves as uh, being able to target ads so effectively that um essentially like the traditional modes of advertising are no longer useful. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between like Netflix and NBC where Netflix knows exactly how long and what you're watching whereas NBC only has Nielsen ratings to go off of. I know mm-hmm. it's slightly different. No, but no, with Netflix, similar, yeah. 
when they make a new show, they know exactly what the people that have Netflix want to watch. So when yeah. they produce something, they're like, well, we know this will work because uh, 93% of our viewers like this, whereas NBC's like, oh, we've got Nielsen ratings from 12 years ago that say they like, uh, I don't know, a reboot of Will and Grace. <laughs> like, right, like right. They, they, they're fucking, they're, they're shot in the foot because they, they don't have enough information. And at the same time, they're also probably getting screwed over a bit by Google because, you know, there's only so many advertising mm-hmm. dollars in the world and NBC... Uh, all the networks, they're sustained by advertisers. Right. I just want to say, if you happen to be a laid-off journalist listening to this, we are going to teach you how to code. <laughs> um, we are going to tell you how Larry Page and Sergey Brin <laughs> became billionaires. So if you're out of work, maybe you're desperate, don't worry. We're going to tell you how you get a Department of Defense research contract. <laughs> right. Uh, to, to help the Pentagon study research papers, <laughs> and then you just kind of run off with it and make a multi-billion dollar behemoth that uh, controls the information flow and is synonymous with the internet. This is, like, really stupid, but I always thought about, like, like a Python class, uh-huh. but uh, it's not, like, the coding. It's just a class on Pythons. <laughs> and people <laughs> are <laughs> Amazing creatures, aren't they? Anyway, $200, well, please. Right, right, right. You, you charge, like, $10,000 up front. They <laughs> put a Python on a table. Yeah, yeah. And at first, people are pissed, but then they see it eat a chicken, and they're like... <laughs> say, All right. So well, that was creepy. Makes me feel better about my situation. Hun, how was your Python class? <laughs> Babe, I got to tell you a lot. <laughs> you know, you know, Python handlers are making six figures starting salary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, like the Larry Page, Sergey Brin story, it's uh, it's interesting. But uh, the, the broad strokes are basically they were both Stanford grad students, PhDs in computer science. Um, and they meet there on, as I mentioned, Essentially, Larry Page was working on a uh, project which was funded by the Department of Defense, which was they were trying to find a better uh, method to search published research papers. Mm-hmm. And he brings Sergey Brin into that, and then they're like, oh, hey, while we're at it, let's look at this internet thing. Let's try to... And, and we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute here. But I did just want to mention, um, <clears throat> Google's kind of key insight was called, uh, they call it PageRank. And this is the idea that most search engines at the time, again, we mentioned Ask Jeeves and Yahoo, those were like the competition and they were already established and a lot of people were like, oh, we don't need a new search engine, you know? Right, right. But, a lot, but most of those search engines would essentially just search websites by, by the way, keywords. Did you call it Yahoo? Yahoo? Did. Yeah. yeah, you did. Okay. I, I, was, I just want that documented. Most uh, Americans I was, put the emphasis on the first O, not the first A. I was pronouncing the exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so uh, the, the point was, essentially, those search engines and, and most of the major ones were just searching keywords on websites, right, whereas right. The, the page rank algorithm uh, that uh, Larry, along with uh, Scott Hassan, created, essentially would look for um, links within sites. So it would search by like links from sites to sites, and this was partly based on the idea of academic papers, mm-hmm. where uh, you can like rank academic papers by how much they're cited in other academic papers, right, you know? Right. So um, that was kind of like the in, uh, that was the insight that did make their search engine better than other competing ones at the time. And uh, I just brought that up because Stanford to this day holds the patent to the page rank that uh, they created because they created it at Stanford right. um, as part of this DoD research project. And basically, Google gave Stanford 1.8 million shares of Google stock uh, in exchange for long-term rights to the patent. So Stanford made about 336 million dollars on this. But uh, that's it. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
kind of chump change in, yeah. in the <laughs> giant scheme. But it is just like something where it's like, it, you know, Chomsky's made this point a million times. Like, every time you talk about capitalism, people will say, oh, look at Google, you know, these uh, geniuses. And it's like, again, these people were government funded in a university. Right. And then they took the idea that they came up with with government funding and privatized the profits. Well, also, a lot of what Google did was they would kind of take someone else's idea and improve on it. And so um, pretty much every market you look at that Google has, like they're taking it from somewhere else and then making it their own. And then I guess their biggest innovation is actually within their advertising engine. Um, I think they, they stole their advertising model from that movie Enemy of the State, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that Will Smith movie about the dangers of surveillance. <laughs> But so I just want to kind of like go through uh, uh, briefly the biography of uh, Larry Page and then Sergey Brin. Um, and again, this is from the book, The Google Guys by Richard Brandt. Um, interestingly enough, Larry Page's grandfather was a leftist member of the Teamsters Union and an auto worker. Mm-hmm. And he was part of uh, one of the most famous uh, strikes of the 20th century, which was the 1937 Flint uh, uh, sit-down strike, which helped form uh, United Auto Workers. And um, there was a, an image... Uh, I think my favorite image of the American labor mo- uh, movement, uh, we'll put it up either on the Patreon or the Tumblr or something, but it's a picture of um, these striking auto workers in 1937 uh, shredding a court injunction, ordering them back to work, and you can see like the paper being uh, rained like confetti right. out of the windows mm-hmm. of the factory, and one of the workers is holding out a sign that says, injunctions won't produce cars. You know, and it's just like a very inspiring moment in American labor history and class consciousness that has been uh, beaten out of workers for the last 40 years. But but I guess my point was, essentially, it is interesting that Larry Page's grandfather was there at that historic moment that built much of the American middle class. And uh, uh, interestingly enough, Larry, according to the book, Larry still keeps a memento from those days, a hammer that his grandfather carried with him for protection during the acrimonious strikes. Really? Yeah. And it's nice that he's been uh, using it (laughs) against labor. Uh, He's been using it to lay off thousands of journalists. And they say that's the hammer he used to put up the nails that bored the buildings of the businesses he shut down. But, you know, so uh, Larry Page comes from, uh, uh, again, like uh, his grandfather, uh, a leftist, uh, uh, striking uh, auto worker. His father, for his part, uh, was a a, a university University of Michigan. His father gets a teaching job at the University of Michigan. Uh, Larry Page's uh, father gets a a Ph.D. in computer science from the University of Michigan. And um, uh, random fact, uh, Larry Page has an older brother called Carl Jr., who also earned a... uh, (laughs) I know. <laughs> <laughs> what is so funny? His about name's this? Carl Jr. Yeah, his... <laughs> Carl Jr. He has an older brother named Carl, Carl Jr. Jr. Oh, who has great. settled several sexual oh. harassment lawsuits. Oh, he loves making burgers, that yeah. Carl. Um, but uh, he's got a younger brother named McDonald as well. Fucking serious? His <laughs> sister named Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but oh yeah, so his his brother gets a. a a master's degree in uh, uh, computer science, I believe. Uh, his brother co-founds a dot-com company called eGroups, which he sells to Yahoo in uh, 2000 
for $432 million. Oh, well. All right, okay. okay which was uh, uh, right when the bottom fell out of the dot-com boom. <laughs> right, right. So it's kind of funny. His brother founded a company that he unloaded, uh, which I'm sure was worth about a tenth of what he <laughs> sold it for. Uh, but interestingly enough, both uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin attend Montessori schools early on. Those are those schools where you can basically do what the fuck ever you want, right. you know. And it's like this is uh, credited for like being the inspiration for the Google campus. Um, like Google has like this famous thing called the 20% rule, which is supposedly if you're a Google employee, you get to spend one day of your work week working on whatever project you want. But basically every Google employee says that like, yeah, we're too overworked to do that. Now. Right. right. <laughs> so, I mean, it is just kind of a marketing thing. Maybe it was true before the IPO, but certainly after the IPO, they were like a much more numbers driven company, you know? Um, <clears throat> But so Larry Page attends this Montessori school. Again, you know, self-learning environment. Larry Page gets his undergraduate uh, degree from the University of Michigan in engineering in 1995. And then he's going on to Stanford. He's getting um, a PhD in computer science. And uh, the way it's told, in 1995, uh, one of Page's advisors at Stanford, um, uh, Larry Page comes into his office and shows him this trick he discovered, which uh, AltaVista was another competing search engine. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, Larry Page found that AltaVista, it not only collected the keywords from the sites, but it could also show what sites linked to them. So Larry Page is saying uh, AltaVista doesn't exploit this information, but it would be a good way to rank them again, these based on these links rather than just these keywords. Right, right. And so Larry Page kind of has the insight there, and then he builds this uh, with the with the help of uh, Scott Hassan, who's, again, written out of the uh, the early Google history. But So how did, how did uh, what happened to Scott, and where did Sergey come in? Uh, Scott, uh, so uh, Sergey, Sergey builds the crawler, and that's like the other okay. part of this. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, Scott exits Google early. Like, um, I don't know... I, exactly how much he made but um but i'm sure he's happy about it (laughs) scott hassan is worth with a few hundred million but he's he's obviously not as rich as the other two um but but regardless the the point here was essentially larry uh page was working on uh this this project we've mentioned it was called the digital library initiative and again department of defense is trying to make it easier to find computer research papers electronically they need a search engine for that so that's what larry page is is doing along with scott hassan and then they bring sergey brin in Sergey Brin's also PhD comp sci at Stanford, and they bring Sergey Brin in to write the program for the crawler that's going to search initially these research papers, but later the actual internet in order to uh, to make these rankings. Um, which I guess brings us to Sergey Brin. We'll do his bio kind of briefly here, and then the we'll... perv of Google. Yeah, <laughs> Sergey Brin, uh, the only Russian man the Democratic Party likes. Uh, he was born in Moscow, nineteen. 19- he puts the ogle in Google. Yeah. Uh, Sergey Brin is born in Moscow, 1973. Sergey's father, Mikhail, he changes his name to Michael. Michael, when he comes to the United Michael. States, yeah, I'll be right back. But uh, uh, Sergey Brin's hey father, <laughs> Sergey Brin's father, uh, he tur- so basically he. Um, wants to study physics. Uh, Sergey Brin's father is a gifted Russian math, math, mathematician, but there's anti-Semitism in... 
<laughs> There's anti-Semitism in uh, Soviet Russia. What? Uh, yeah. So uh, basically, Sergey Brin's father is turned down um, because the Communist Party, uh, this is according to the uh, the book I mentioned, the Google guys, the Communist Party at the time banned Jews from physics departments. Uh, so the government didn't want them to have access to Soviet nuclear secrets. So Sergey Brin's father, uh, Mikhail uh, Michael, d- decides to study mathematics instead. And then one uh, uh, interesting anecdote from the book, he uh, took the entrance exams in rooms reserved for Jewish students, which were nicknamed the, quote, gas chambers. Really? Yes. They have a subtle sense of humor we can't really grasp (laughs) in Russia. But he does take the end, and uh, uh, Mikhail uh, graduates with distinction in 1970. And then Sergei is born three years later in uh, Moscow. Listen, man, he's I taught the Wait, I like that drum. Yeah, uh, let's try that. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, guys. Uh, in about 10 episodes, Andy will learn where the drops are. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so the, the point is that uh, he's working in uh, mathematics. He's like doing statistics for the Soviet government. In 1977, he attends an international conference where he meets some foreign researchers and academics. And then he decides, I have to get the fuck out of Soviet Russia. Right, right. And uh, in 1979, uh, the application is approved. And uh, Sean, uh, yes, would you say that in Soviet Russia, <laughs> mm-hmm. engine searches you? <laughs> <laughs> Watch this space. I'll give you credit. <laughs> Seriously, I'll give you credit because the entire time you started saying that, I'm like, he's trying to decide how to finish this, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but so, um, they leave in 1979, uh, uh, Michael, Michael, now Michael Brin, he, uh, ends up getting a teaching, uh, position at the University of Maryland in mathematics, and Sergey Brin is kind of a math prodigy early on. Um, he also, he gets his first computer at Commodore 64 around 1982 when he was nine years old. And uh, again, quoting from the Google Guys book, he soon discovered the internet. For a while, he frequented primitive chat rooms, then called IRCs or internet relay chats, but later recalled that he grew bored with them once they became dominated by, quote, 10-year-old boys trying to talk about sex, unquote. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) Later, he would become a uh, 50-something man trying to talk about sex with a 20-something aspiring Brooklyn comedian. (laughs) I'm just kidding. She's uh, West Coast-based, I think. SF. Yeah. But um, he was also interested in, like, uh, they were called multi-user dungeons, which were kind of like Dungeons & Dragons over the internet, basically. Uh, He even, apparently, he wrote one of these games. He wrote his own uh, multi-user dungeon game. If our listeners can find this multi-user dungeon game by Mm -hmm. Sergey Brin, we will be thankful. It's like, they go to the credits, it's like, funded by the Department of Defense. (laughs) 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 That's weird. But so, uh, as we mentioned, Sergey Brin also attends a Montessori school, um, but he's uh, bored in high school and he actually drops out. But again, he's, he's a math prodigy, so Sergey Brin manages to apply to the University of Maryland, and he gets accepted a year earlier than uh, the average high school graduate. And he's taking, you know, senior and graduate-level mathematics classes, and he, he graduates with, uh, with distinction. Um, I don't know, is that a prodigy, though? I mean, that, that's a smart kid, but his dad's smart, his mom's probably pretty smart as well. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's prodigy. Um, she managed to get a job... 
<laughs> I forget what she was doing, but she managed to get a job as well because uh, they both left the Soviet Union with basically nothing, but they had uh, uh, degrees, right. essentially. Um, and that is how this went down. So I'll get back to you on that. Hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. I, I think she got a teaching job as well. If memory serves, they both ended up getting teaching jobs. That sounds about right. But you know, I, I think yeah, I think you know what? Families. She was teaching. Yeah. She was teaching Russian. His uh, his mother was teaching Russian. His dad was teaching mathematics. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how the basis of the the page rank page ranking is based on the logic of citations in mm -hmm. academic journals, like <laughs> pretty thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Well, that is also kind of um, Google's. Uh, Part of Google's uh, cultural penetration and the ability to avoid uh, it's, uh, oversight it's, oh. is their penetration oh. of uh, academia. And I thought you were going to say of uh, D-list comedians. <laughs> <laughs> My wife. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to it in just one second. But, but yeah, I mean, essentially, like, in most of their early hires were Stanford. Uh, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin meet at Stanford. Uh, Sergey graduates 1993 from University of Maryland with dual degree in both math and computer science. He enters the PhD program at Stanford in 1994, and I believe Larry Page and Sergey Brin meet around 1995, if if not uh, 1994. Um, and then just random anecdote: uh, Sergey had a fondness for skinny dipping with friends or picking locks. Uh, at Stanford, uh, apparently they would pick locks to enter the uh, old economics building at Stanford. <laughs> How many times was he arrested for these crimes? <laughs> a permanent stain on his record yeah. that made it impossible <laughs> for him to get a job That's later crazy. in life. Um, apparently, one former Stanford colleague said Sergey's quote a phenomenal lock pick, um, but uh, this friend insists that they never did anything illegal. <laughs> Picking locks and trespassing is illegal. Uh, such as entering... No, that's a rhetorical device they would uh, <laughs> get better at as the years went on. <laughs> they... Uh, Sergey Brin would. We're accessing your camera to evaluate your uh, emotions on your face to better decide what your reactions to brands are. But we're not doing anything illegal. He and his brother Carl's Jr. <laughs> used to go in, in and out of buildings. Okay, all right. <laughs> Sergey Brin insists you have to explicitly opt in to the Google service where he enters your apartment illegally. <laughs> no, really, we wouldn't do that unless you explicitly give us permission to pick your lock and go through your house it's crazy to me that like all the rules and regulations of like if you break a crime you can't be employed by blah 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 are completely thrown out the window if you just start your own company and become a billionaire you can commit as many crimes as you want if you can start your own company and then become a billionaire well more on that later particularly, <laughs> particularly regarding the sexual harassment aspect but uh so yeah they're like picking locks and doing skinny dipping and getting up to dumb shit but i did just want one other random anecdote uh sergey while he's at stanford uh, according to the book writes a scholarly paper about the early creation of google titled quote the anatomy of a large-scale hypertextual web search engine unquote um in the paper he argued against an ad supported service as a corrupted influence quote advertising funded search engines will be inherently biased towards the advertisers and away from the needs of the consumers end quote uh, he writes this in, I believe, 1995. He's a man of principle. <laughs> He's like, Except when I do it. <laughs> I like to imagine he wrote that paper and then immediately tried DMT. <laughs> and forgot and then he, he everything. Went to, he went to Burning Man, so... <laughs> he did. He cleared things up a bit. 
but so as we mentioned, Sergey's on this data mining thing, and they meet. Uh, Larry Page and Sergey meet, and uh, again, Sergey's writing the crawler. Um, and then at this point, wait, in, say the DMT thing again. Uh, Larry, uh, Sergey Brin tried DMT Listen, right after. Listen, man, he's probably one of the smartest <laughs> human beings. On the that guy's. You know that they think he might have invented Bitcoin. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so Joe Rogan, come on, Grubstakers. <laughs> uh, so Sergey Brin and Larry Page they play around with different names. Have Joe Rogan on and make him not do any drugs. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin they play around with different names for the search engine. Um, initially, uh, one of them was called "quote What Box," but they decided. <laughs> And this is from the Google guys book. Uh, Imagine if they went with that it, and like, why don't you what box it? <laughs> uh, they decided that it sounded like wet box, which sounded like some kind of porn site. Sergey recalled my wife <laughs> would have been popular. Uh, <laughs> you learn this from trying, trying to talk about sex. In yes. IRCs. <laughs> um, but so they were looking for a big number and they intended to call, to crawl the call the crawler <laughs> they were like a thousand yeah no <laughs> two thousand <laughs> they wanted to call the crawler google because it like was this crawler that searches all these millions of websites you know right. and then they end up just calling the company uh google um <clears throat> they changed the spelling yes yeah um but so basically they uh, uh they're working on it against uh they want to build a a system to test their theory. They're both, again, in the PhD program at Stanford at this point. And one more quote from the Google Guys book. Larry Page and Sergey were repeatedly borrowing money from other students and faculty and, quote, borrowing equipment that arrived in the loading docks uh, at Gates Hall at Stanford before the owners could claim it. So they were basically mm. taking computers out of Stanford to set up their servers and all this stuff. Oh, um, you mean they're stealing just yes. straight up from a university? And in fact, Sergey says, quote, we had stolen all these computers from all over the computer. <laughs> Computer science department recalled Sergey. Uh, finally, a professor asked asked Larry exactly how much of the internet he wanted to search. Larry's response: all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then this professor actually manages to get them some money from the Department of Defense Digital Libraries project so that they could buy more computers. So, in addition to the initial research being funded by the Department of Defense, their initial startup period of the private company Google was also funded by the Department of Defense. And apparently, a significant part of their startup capital was just stolen computers. <laughs> hey, what was what That's box right. again? Uh, yeah, what box? What was that? That was their initial name that they came up with. Oh, what I, th box. I thought it was Backrub. That yes, they they, they that was <laughs> a project. That was a project name, right? Oh, it was really. I I knew. I, I I'd seen that in cover the results. That back it's rub. funny. It's funny they kept coming up with these names, and then for some reason, <laughs> Sergey Brin is fucking all of the employees. All right, this is what we would call wet pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so type that into blowjob. <laughs> Did you blowjob it? <laughs> I like I like when uh, they asked Sir Larry. Uh, how many website? How much of the internet he wanted to search, and he said all of it. Like, like Frank Underwood just asked him how many PS Vita games he has. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. Well, it's also like what was that? Nineteen ninety-seven. Like, Ninety-five. Yeah. Yeah. Three hundred websites. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but so interestingly enough, by like late nineteen ninety-six, Google they perfected their language engine, mm -hmm. uh, Analingus. Oh, really? So, Analingus? <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
But um, <laughs> that's their language analysis program. <laughs> but but regardless, uh, again, to their credit, their search engine was for the most part better than the competition, and uh, they keep this very kind of bare and austere front page, you know, with like no more than twenty eight words. I think is their max. <laughs> um, but but the point is, by late nineteen ninety six, they have actually launched this algorithm, and it's widely used within the Stanford campus. Again, they're still in their PhD program, and they they still don't think this is going to be the basis for a company. So they're trying to sell their search algorithm. So Larry Page and Sergey Brin and uh, the other guy, Scott Hassan, they go around to AltaVista and some of the other, I think they might have gone to Ask Jeeves or Yahoo as well. Netscape? I don't know. Um, but they go to some of the different companies, and they're trying to sell their algorithm for like a million dollars, sure. basically. And uh, AltaVista, for their part. Like, hey, guys. Yes. We know that people want to do Mad Libs online, but they don't know how to find it. That's right. That's right. Uh, so Alta Vista. We've got a way to find one of the three websites. <laughs> so too many times, your users will be looking for the Captain Kirk versus Captain Picard debate thread. <laughs> <laughs> and it can take them upwards of 30 seconds to find oh one of those debate threads. One of the two debate threads. <laughs> That make up one of the 10 websites on the internet. We can get there and there in 10 seconds. It should be noted that at this time, the way people use the internet was they would search something and then literally go away from their computer and do other stuff and then come back to the computer to see the results mm-hmm. because the internet speeds were that, 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 that was the speed. Yeah. Yeah. Child pornographers would get horny and then like forget about it eight hours later. <laughs> They would just hear the screeching of their modem stop and they'd be like, my porn's in. <laughs> Epstein was like, there needs to be a better way. <laughs> uh, you know, it is true that Epstein did start offending right around the release of yeah. high-speed internet. <laughs> uh, but so... The, the point here is that um, in 1997, they try to sell their tech to AltaVista. AltaVista kind of laughs them out the door. Everybody thinks search engines are fine. Everybody thinks a million dollars is... To be fair, they went into AltaVista and said, hey, we've got a back rub for you. <laughs> John Hamm walks in. What do we think of when we think of a box? <laughs> what about a what box? It's something we store things in and don't tell our wives about. He never gets fully hard. <laughs> Um, but so in 1997, again, they can't sell the company. So when they can't sell the company, and again, you know, historical irony, people could have bought the fucking Google tech for a million dollars. But um, in 1998, they can't sell the company. So they begin looking for investors. Well, and the Google tech on its own at that point was not profitable at all. Yeah, well, the, right. But yeah. it was, I mean, in fairness, it was a better way of searching the internet sure as opposed to keywords, but the it's page still, rank thing. At that point, it's right. still a free service and making money from Google was not um, on their minds. Yeah, I mean, it is true. Like they, we'll, we'll get to how they actually make money on the advertising, but it's not inherently intuitive how you make money on a search engine. Right, right. Some of their competitors would sell ads, but the way that they would do it is either the ads would be based on keywords provided by other companies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you would type in shoes and then like the first result would be Nike or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, then other ways that uh, they would sell ads would be like a company would pay money to be uh, higher up on the search results. Right. Um, Which Larry Page and Sergey Brin were very against. Yeah, they were very against that because, you know, it basically corrupts the um, search, search engine and it... Uh, 
it, it basically undermines people's trust in the search engine. And it engine. makes it so that the people with the most money can get the best results. And so basically, like, they're able to get funding just because the computer science department at Stanford happens to link directly into the Silicon Valley venture capital, uh, you know, psychopaths. Yeah, they got a direct vein to exactly. the most insane people willing to bet on tech. So according to the Google Guys book, uh, they approached uh, David Sheraton, who was a computer science professor at Stanford, who had started a couple companies with Silicon Valley entrepreneur Andy uh, Bechtolsheim. I think, uh, for help finding f- uh, funding. Um, so he introduces them to Bechtolsheim, and uh, just taking the step of... Uh, Bechtolstein basically didn't care that they had a business, no business plan or formal pitch. According to Sergey, he simply said, oh, we could discuss a number of issues. Why don't I just write you a check, unquote. He filled out a check for $100,000. And then once he was involved, all the other venture capitalists are like, oh, this respected guy's getting in, so we'll get in too. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's the herd mentality that controls capital allocation in this At this, this time... you think w- there would be a bubble coming from that <laughs> kind <of behavior> <laughs> <laughs> At this time, he wrote the check out to Google Inc., but they weren't even a company at that point. And they're working out of... Uh, um, what, garage. Would, yeah, what, but I did just want to say, according to the book Valley of Genius, immediately after they got this check for a hundred thousand dollars, they quote, "Cocaine." They went to Burning Man. <laughs> uh, so oh, I thought it was exaggerating. <laughs> according to uh, nope. Ray Sydney, Google employee number five, quote: Sergey put up a Burning Man logo on the Google website. It was. Uh, kind of like an out of the office, gone to Burning Man thing. Right, right. Uh, it was the first Google Doodle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, and, and Sergey, uh, for his part, would continue this uh, love of Burning Man throughout basically most of his life. Apparently, uh, which we'll get to in one second, um, he wanted to publicly announce the separation from his wife so that he could go to Burning Man with his mistress. My wife. <laughs> God. Really? Yeah, that's that's because they hadn't announced the separation. Oh, uh, gotcha, yeah. 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 But um, but yeah. So real at, quick, the garage they worked out of was my wife, uh, Sergey's uh, ex-wife's older sister's house. Basically, yeah, she turns a rent seventeen hundred dollars for that garage. It was uh, seven employees working in Susan Wojcicki's house. Some fucking Polak name. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Which, with the casual racism. I know. When I saw his, uh, when I saw Sergey Brin's uh, ex-wife's last name was Wojakai, I was like, "Oh, he must have like it must have been really easy to convince her he wasn't having an affair." <laughs> yeah, because they're Polish. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, "No, I'm just screwing in a light bulb." <laughs> he decides to like have an affair down by the water, and his wife's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm just going to my submarine." And she's like, "Oh, remember to close the screen door." <laughs> Uh, but more on that later. But yeah, so basically it's seven employees working out of, uh, uh, this house, which apparently they say they did like most of their work in the bedroom. It was like half of the house. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just like one, uh, Heather, uh, uh, Cairns, uh, was an early employee. She says, quote, we were allowed to use Susan's washer and dryer that was in the garage, but we were working out of the, out of bedrooms. We weren't in the garage. That's the folklore because every startup is supposed to be in a garage. <laughs> the parties would be rocking like they'd be rocking by anyone's standard, let alone an, an office party standard. We'd have a hundred people come and we had props from movie theater companies and we had a hot tub too. So you can take it from there. <laughs> Cholo <laughs> came to the early party. 
But this uh, is one of the cra- the worst things about these companies is they promote such a fun, exciting, you know, nightlife uh, mm-hmm. business work uh, balance. But the reality is, is they're just throwing parties to make it so that when you're working all night to create this company, you don't complain because you're like, well, I did get to get drunk at 2 a.m. Right. in between my working from midnight to... Well, also, I think at the time, like, they're just like these dipshit kids. Yeah, they're twenty-something Stanford grad right. students. Yeah, so they're just mm-hmm. like they're also just partying because they they just you know someone just threw a pile of money at them mm-hmm. and they partied their asses off and then later they kind of create the myth that like yeah we worked real hard to to create this thing it was just you know lots of lots of devotion lots of uh, coding and typing and analyzing but you know then like every night you know they're probably doing all that coding with a coke over and yeah and uh again just uh this house is in menlo park and this is where sergey meets his future wife because as we mentioned this is this is the sister of his uh his future wife is renting out this house to them and he only started dating her to get a a cut in the rent by the way He was like seventeen hundred for the garage. Maybe if I'm starting fucking the sister, she'll give us a break. But so this is uh, <laughs> this is nineteen ninety eight. Beautiful story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he he hustles, man. Sergey Brin's willing to go down to Brown Town to let the world know. Uh, so night. <laughs> 1998 they they found this company they're working out of a garage uh but uh, again from the the google guys book uh the initial funding could only get them so far so in spring of 1999 larry and sergey started seeking another 25 million in venture capital um and interestingly as we've mentioned you know ask jeeves yahoo all cocaine's expensive (laughs) uh for the good stuff yeah um so they they start they they go on another venture capital raise and they're actually like very i guess confident at this point they're trying to raise 25 million dollars um for i believe a fifth yeah they're trying to sell a fifth of the company for 25 million so they're already valuing their company at 125 million dollars they just have Um, like uh one of those like pitch boards and -hmm. they just pull off the blank one and it says not yet profitable (laughs) 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 and it's like all these like valley vc idiots and they're like yeah i'm in (laughs) what do you want is that eight million? Yeah. How about nine? Nine? Ten? Ten? They're I'll all fine. I'll give you twenty. They're just actively doing coke in front of a table <laughs> as they listen to them. Yeah, so, I love it. Search, like, search fast. I like fast. fast. They're all doing the shut up, take my money, give. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll give you a fifth of the company, and we'll throw in eight to nine p.m. exclusive hot tub access. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give you eight million, and you take a hit of this right now. <laughs> 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 but I mean, they're all fucking bros. Yeah. Like growing yeah. up mentally, I remember feeling like, oh, well, as an adult, bros will like fizzle out or like dissipate. But from everything I've learned from this podcast is that billionaires are bros. Fucking surgeons are bros. Anybody that's in a high technical reputable position is probably a bro. Yeah. And so yeah. basically the, the, the smart thing they do here, uh, Sergey and Larry, is they get two different venture capital firms to partner on this together. Like the firms, initially the VCs like want to be exclusive because they sure. want to be able to direct these companies and control them and make sure they're profitable. But they finally, they have such a hot product apparently that these two venture capital firms cave and they go in together. And so neither controls too much of the firm. So again, they're selling off a fifth of Google, but they're splitting it in half between two venture capital firms. And they do this, they get $25 million cash injection and now they can buy an office and this is where like serious partying yeah, starts. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, just from, 
And again, none of this was in the Google guy's book, so fuck that guy <laughs> for making me miss all of this exciting research. But so on 19, in 1999, again, they get this $25 million injection. They hire Charlie Ayers, which was a he was apparently formerly the Grateful Dead chef. And right. we'll talk we'll talk about yeah, kind they of, hire the Grateful right. Dead chef to be their head caterer. Yeah. Wait, oh, Hold on. The Grateful Dead had a chef? Yeah. Yeah, well, oh, they yeah, tour constantly. Tour, yeah, you, yeah. Need, you don't want to fucking be eating can't McDonald's do, all you week. You can't do 80 road dates a year and not have a chef. Yeah. I just assume, like, road food is just McDonald's and... Andy, the Grateful Dead made a lot of money. <laughs> the Grateful Dead chef makes one meal that takes two hours to eat. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't fill you up, but it sounds pretty cool. Not a lot of people like his food, but the people who do are really weird. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 20 foodies following him all over the country. That feels like something where that guy's just out of work and on his resume, he's like, I was the Grateful Dead chef. And then when Sergey and Larry look at it, they're like, yo, we need this guy. We need him. But so you know how to make pop brownies, right? <laughs> Well, actually, there aren't websites about that yet. <laughs> quite literally. So uh, Charlie Ayers, again, he's giving this interview to the the, bo- uh, the guy who wrote the book. Adam Fisher writes the book Valley of Genius. And in it, in 1999, after they get this big hit they, uh, of cash, they start doing these annual ski yeah, trips. of cash. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They go on their ski trip. <laughs> they start They start doing these annual ski trips to Squaw Valley. Just um, hitting the powder. Oh, I'm so night- hungover. I did so much cash last <laughs> night. All right, so here's Charlie Ayers. Quote, on the ski trips in Squaw Valley, I would have all these unsanctioned parties, and finally the company was like, all right, we'll give Charlie what he wants. And I created Charlie's Den. I had live bands, DJs, and we bought truckloads of alcohol and a bunch of pot and made ganja goo balls. I remember people coming up to me and saying, I'm hallucinating. What the fuck is in those? (laughs) Larry and Sergey had like this gaggle of girls who were hot and all became like their little har- their little harem of admins. I called them the LNS harem. Yes. All those girls are now different heads of department in that company what? years later. And what then fucking uh, scum. And that that one uh, ends with a spokesperson for Google declined to comment. <laughs> <laughs> Did any of them um lean in <laughs> does but, it does it say yeah so uh, i just continue <laughs> no comment yeah uh so uh, Heather Cairns uh, was another early employee. She says, quote, you kind of trusted Larry Page with his personal life. We always kind of worried that Sergey was going to date somebody in the company. <gasps> Charlie Ayers, the cook, continues, Sergey's the Google playboy. He was known for getting his fingers caught in the cookie jar with employees that worked for the company in the masseuse room. He got around. Heather Kearns, uh, or Cairns. How are you going to be surprised that the CEO's fucking employees when you're office has a masseuse room (laughs) (laughs) like that's just a those should be banned so heather continues uh and we didn't have locks so you can't help it if you walk in on people if there's no lock remember we're a bunch of young 20 somethings except for me ancient at 35 so there's some hormones and they're raging charlie airs hr told me that sergey's response to it was quote why not they're my employees but you don't have employees for fucking that's not what the job is (laughs) Heather, uh, oh my God, this is a sexual harassment claim waiting to happen. That was my concern. Charlie Ayers, when Sheryl Sandberg joined in 2001, the company is when I saw a vast shift in everything. People came in wearing suits who came in wearing suits were actually being hired. 
Whereas like before 2001, right, if you right. came to an interview in a suit, they'd say, go the fuck home and change, you know? Mm. But then it 2001 becomes more button up and they hire Eric Schmidt as CEO, but he's also fucking people in yeah. the masseuse room. <laughs> yeah. Once Eric sees, you can probably fucking get away with it. He starts yeah. doing it too. I mean, Eric came from, uh, Eric Schmidt came from more like uh, traditional work environments. And I'm sure like a big part of, him going to work at Google is like, oh, finally, a place where I can fuck. <laughs> <laughs> One other uh, quote. This is from Biz Stone. He was apparently a co-founder of Twitter. I guess he was an early Google employee as well. He says, quote, Google was a weird pay- place, like a weird kid land. Adults worked there, but there were all these big, colorful, bouncy balls. Eric Schmidt had a twisty playground slide that he could exit his office from, which now seems almost perverted. <laughs> <laughs> he was like 40 or something when he joined <laughs> He was. He was supposed to be the adult in the room. Eric, are you going to take the stairs or the slide? <laughs> I think you know what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, but so I, I guess we're we're going to have to wrap up here in a second. But I, I, you know, we teased it, so I do just want to go through the affair that Sergey Brin gets into, um, and then we'll we'll return to kind of the surveillance state stuff next right. episode. Essentially, how they monetize. In 2004, they have their IPO. 2002, they kind of launch AdWords, and this is really where the surveillance state kind of t- kicks off. Google Chrome itself, they launch a web browser because when you leave Google, they can't surveil you anymore. So they're like, oh, let's launch a fucking web browser so we can always surveil people yep. no matter where they are on the internet. Um, Essentially, instead of making their homepage where you need to be to search, look at them, they made your entire browser a way to look at you. Mm. That's fucking sadly genius. Yeah, so Sergey uh, got married, I believe, in 2007 in My the Bahamas. <laughs> he got married to, uh, again, the, the sister of the woman they were went- renting the garage from. Uh, she would go on uh, to found the company 23andMe. My wife. Uh, which I really do not recommend using if you are a rapist and serial murderer. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to be a, a police officer who has been killing people in the California area, I do not recommend sending your <laughs> DNA to 23andMe. Oh, they caught the Zodiac? Um, but so what happened here is uh, Ashley Rosenberg is... Um, no, Amanda. Uh, Amanda Rosenberg? Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, Amanda Rosenberg, famous uh, betrayer of the American <laughs> state. <laughs> Play the electricity drop. <laughs> Very loud. <laughs> uh, so what you're saying yeah. that uh, Sergey mm-hmm. uh, collaborated... With Ms. Rosenberg. And that is how this went down. <laughs> hey there, I'm Chris Hayes from MSNBC. <laughs> yeah, only 50 years ago, we would uh, we had a way of dealing with Rosenbergs who collaborated <laughs> with Russians. It's <laughs> 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 so, so fucking stupid. <laughs> I know, I love that job, though. But... Uh, <sighs> Interestingly enough, in uh, 2007, uh, Sergey Brins gets married uh, to this lady, uh, Wojakai. Uh, they invite guests to a secret location in the Bahamas. This is from a Vanity Fair article written in 2014 about the affair. Um, During her years on Wall Street, she saw bankers cheating on their wives all the time. <laughs> so that made her reluctant to get married. <laughs> Whoops. So uh, Wojakai, she founds, co-founds 23andMe and raises uh, several rounds of financing, including $6.5 million from Google, you know, for oh, some reason. Oh, got that money. <laughs> yeah. um, but so they, they do these, uh, these DNA tests that in addition to like telling you your ancestry, they're able to like test you for, for some sort of genetic um, 
predisposition to various genetic diseases. Right, right. And it's here that uh, she tests her husband, Sergey Brin, and she finds that his great aunt suffers from Parkinson's. He's very likely to get Parkinson's. According to Vanity Fair, uh, Sergey Brin read the results as possibly having only about 10 good years left. I don't know how much that had to do with his uh, midlife crisis, <laughs> but uh, that might have been the seeds for her I own think it's destruction. More of later life crisis. Yes, but also I think we should mention that the the, the woman that broke uh, his his wife's ex wife's back is not the only woman he probably cheated on her with. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Like, I mean, like we we mentioned earlier, yeah. he was just banging people in the masseuse right, room. Right. But I mean, like know. he, you know, because they were separated for. I mean, after the Rosenberg thing. <laughs> That's so loud, Andy. <laughs> oh, and, and one other thing from this um, uh, uh, Vanity Fair piece. Over the years, there have been several notable workplace romances at the top levels of Google, including one between Larry Page and Marissa Mayer, now the CEO of Yahoo as of 2014. Mm-hmm. There were hallway discussions about the two of them dating, and some believe that being close to Mayer was helpful when trying to secure Page's approval for a project. <laughs> And again, it's just funny, like, I read that book, The Google Guys, and, like, everything's just so reverential about their genius, and it's like, I'm sure they're smart guys, but clearly, if you want to, like, become a department head, or if you want to, like, get close to them, just be friendly to whatever employee they happen to be dating at the time, you know, it's just all this kind of, like, corrupting stuff that uh, this reverence of Silicon Valley ignores that, you know, people have clay feet, and they're easily corruptible and easily... Uh, led in directions that are not actually in the best interests of the company, the shareholders, people, mm-hmm. humanity. Take me, take me, his first wife silhouette seemed to say to him. Um, but, oh, and also the Vanity Fair article, we'll get to it another time, but it basically talks about how, like, Eric Schmidt's wife is, like, holed up in their mansion, and he's repeatedly seen at events with younger women. <laughs> oh, my God. What a piece of shit. I know. Uh, and he's supposed to be the adult in the room. But so also, I want to mention Amanda Rosenberg three years ago created a web series, Mm -hmm. uh, which was the channel was called Grown Ass Woman, (laughs) and the uh, series is called Apartment. You know, like a good web series. (laughs) And uh, the three episodes are staying up to go out, keeping up appearances, and the controversial leggings versus jeans. You know what the saddest fucking thing is about this lady is like she used to work at Google and yet her web presence is fucking terrible. <laughs> like you literally worked at where web presence exists and you can't get more than 7,000 followers on Twitter. What's wrong with you, Amanda? You can cuck a billionaire out of his money, but you can't cuck the internet for fame. Well, she does have more followers than we do, though. Listen, we're not fucking... We're going to cut that. <laughs> <laughs> we're not fucking billionaires, Sean. If I was fucking a billionaire, you wouldn't even see me. <laughs> well, maybe you're not dedicated enough to this podcast. <laughs> you put a billionaire that wants to fuck me, I'll get it done. I'm, I'm, I might be engaged, but I'm not, I'm not disengaging from this podcast. You have an agreement. <laughs> well, Sergey Brin's ex-wife is single. <laughs> She's today A-Rod. Yeah, in 2016, she was dating A-Rod. Apparently, like... Uh, say going over to Brin... <laughs> You're going from an A-Rod to a B-Rod. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of Sergey Brin using page rank to order his mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> but is this a first page mistress? Because I really want to get that A-grade mistress game. No, yeah. he just clicks, I'm feeling, re- I'm feeling lucky. <laughs> so. Uh, and so Amanda Rosenberg, we've, we've kind of mentioned, she has like a web series. She was in like some sort of funnier die video for like Depression Olympics about getting out of bed. Yeah, when she's you got have a depression. book coming out this November called That's Mental, which is probably about mental issues. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know, man. I, I don't like her at all. She's got this thing where she's Chinese, but also British. And so she's got that, like, you know, she's got a British accent, but looks Chinese type of thing. And I'm not bothered by that. But yeah, but isn't living in an apartment pretty weird? <laughs> oh, it's the kookiest, especially when you don't know what to wear. <laughs> Leggings or jeans. Guys, we should make a um, web series where it's just us, but we're, like, hanging out in an apartment. Technically, we already do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm half Chinese and half British, so that means I'm starving to death, but it's also my fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he op- she opens her stand-up with that. That's right. Uh, but uh, one more. I get my opium at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one more thing for the Vanity Fair article as of 2014 a couple months ago Amanda Rosenberg ran into a rough patch as she wrote in an essay that she posted on her Tumblr quote I suffer from clinical depression whilst I'm not proud of it I'm not ashamed of it either she called depression quote a sneaky bugger adding you might seem happy on the outside smiling talking to people at parties saying things like did you put lime in this hummus it's delicious my face is having such a great time but you and others around you may not realize how deeply the depression runs and, cool. Uh, <laughs> our great sympathies to Amanda Rosenberg, um, the richest person to start a web series. It's not even a good web series. It's like you have the money to produce something that doesn't suck, and you just make like low grade apartment. It's I mean, just, you don't you don't automatically get <sighs> Sergey Brin's money from fucking him. You get some of it. I mean, you get access to his his benefits. You get to fuck in a mansion or Yo, a helicopter. If I got one or, week of Sergey Brin level money well, access, I would make so many bad good decisions. But it's not like unless he gives you like a. I mean, maybe if you fuck Sergey Brin, he gives you like a spending account. To- uh, I think uh, we, we we just kind of like we didn't get to everything. We'll 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 circle back next week. I think next week in particular, we're going to talk about the advertising and the surveillance state right. uh, model that Google is is based on. And we'll get to like a couple of the miscellaneous details uh, we didn't get to on this episode, but we think we gave a, a basic point of what happened with the startup of Google and uh, some of the extracurricular activities uh, some of the founders <laughs> have been getting up to. Um, but I guess that's about it this week. Uh, check us out next week, and uh, we'll follow up the story of Google and the uh, surveillance state that they have created. And with that, that is how this went down. This has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Andy Palmer. I'm Steve Jeffries. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Check back next week. Thank you. Show loud. Show loud.